Don't have long left, so I have to double up. Exodus chapter 20, verses 14 and 15. what it says. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. This is God's word. Um, <laughs> one thing uh, that I love, or place I love to visit is uh, Washington, D.C. One reason I love Washington, D.C. is because I love museums. I love the idea of a museum. Not necessarily what's in them, but I love the idea. Our society has said, there are some things, uh, memorabilia, relics, that are so valuable and so meaningful and so priceless that we need to put them in a, and house them in one location where like, people go and view them and, because they have so much significance and meaning to us, right? We put them in a museum because they have history behind them, meaning and purpose and value behind them. Like, for example, Declaration of Independence. You know, it's, it's awesome, and it it's represents kind of our freedom, right, as a country. Uh, so it's just interesting that we, we have museums and we put pl- things in a place uh, because they're valuable and they're meaningful and they represent something. And so they're significant to us. And so it would be really disrespectful, um, uh, illegal to go and remove them from the museum or to tamper with them, right? That, w- that would be wrong. That would be disrespectful because they have significance and meaning. And so in our own lives, in our own world, there are things that have meaning and significance for us as well. And that is what these two commandments are getting at, is that in our world and in our lives, there are things that are sacred and significant to us. And that is what the two commandments here that we're going to talk about today get at, is that in our lives, as God's people, we are called to protect what is sacred to people and what is significant. And those two things are this, is that as God's people motivated by a love for God and a love for neighbors, is that we are to protect and respect what is sacred to people in this world, that being marriage, and then what is significant to people in this world. And that's their property and their possessions. And so that is what the commandments are getting at today, is that as God's people, we are called to protect and respect people's marriages and people's property. So let's get in to see what these commandments are really getting at for us. First thing is this, first point on your outline, is respecting marriage. This is verse 14. So God's people are marked by valuing the sanctity of marriage through the pursuit of purity in actions and in, and in affections. And so what is this commandment prohibiting? It may already sound kind of, you know, uh, obvious, right? But as we've learned in the past couple of weeks, nothing's really that obvious, right? There's, there's a lot more underneath these things than we actually initially think, right? And so what is this commandment prohibiting us to do? Well, explicitly, let's just say this, is that it's, it's prohibiting God's people from uh, having sex with somebody who is not our spouse. Blatant explicit. That is it is that having sexual intimacy with someone who is not, who we are not united to in marriage, that is what this commandment is prohibiting, explicitly. 
And so what God is doing for Israel is that he is reorienting and, and adjusting their view of what marriage is to be and how sex is to be used in this world. That's what, that's what this commandment is doing. It's reor, reorienting us and Israel to what is the value of marriage and what is the value in the gift of sex. It, it, it's defining those things for us. That's what's underneath this commandment. And so God's people are to be marked by this. Not to be people who pervert marriages through sexual immorality and adultery, but people who protect marriage, who protect the union of one man and one wife. That is what God's people are to be marked by and characterized by. It's people who value and see the sanctity of marriage, not people who attempt to destroy it and pollute it through actions that are not condoned in the Bible, that being adultery and sexual immorality. That is what God's people are to be marked by. And that's what this commandment is getting at. It's getting at that God's people are to be the ones who value marriage. In a society who does not value marriage, we are to be the ones that say, no, we value this union between one man and one woman. We value these things. And we are going to do whatever we can to protect the fidelity of it. And one of the ways that we love our neighbors, and one of the ways that we protect marriage is we don't, we don't go have sexual intimacy and relations with just anybody. We say, God has brought one man and one wife and given us this spouse. And this gift of sex is to be used within the confines and parameters of marriage. That's what it is. And so last week when we talked about not murdering, uh, we talked about the sanctity of life and that God's people were to be marked by people who value human life. Now, God is calling Israel and us to say, you aren't just about uh, valuing human life, you're about valuing human relationships. That is what we are to be marked by as God's people. That if we are in Jesus Christ, we are the people who value human life and human relationships. That being the very foremost, the marriage. The marriage is that. That's what it is. Is that we are not ones who destroy it and compromise it, but we promote and we protect it. And that is how we love our neighbors. Is that we genuinely show our love for neighbor and that's, if you haven't been here in the past couple weeks, we looked in Matthew 22 that all the law and the commandments are about two things. What is it? Love for God. Good, good. We're there. Love for others. Good. All this law is about loving God and loving others. And this commandment is about how do we love God and love others? Well, it defines how we think about sex and how we think about marriage. This is how we love God and love others. We don't pervert marriages. We protect them. And as I've already said, this doesn't just pertain to uh, a spouse and another spouse uh, who are not married together having sex, but it, it's also it's, it's changing how we think about sex in general, is that no matter if you're married or not married, is that there are confines to how sex is to be used in our world, and God defines that. Jesus speaks very clearly about that. Paul speaks very clearly about that, is that the gift of sex is to be used within the confines of a marriage, not however we want to use it. That's what Jesus says in Matthew 15, 19. He says, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. So Jesus is he's saying, look, you know, he's kind of outlining all the commandments, murder, adultery, and then he includes sexual morality in here. So it's not just about people sleeping with or having sex with somebody who's not their spouse. It's about anybody, unmarried or married, using this gift that God has given us outside of the parameters that he has given us. So this is what, this is what the commandment is getting at. It's a complete 
makeover of who we are and how we are to think about marriage and how we are to think about intimacy. And that God's people who follow Jesus Christ are not to be marked by any of these things. But as I've already said, in our culture, these things are not valued. I think that's very clear as we've seen, right? These things are not valued. The, the culture values infidelity. The culture values the hookup culture, right? The culture values, uh, you know what, don't be shackled down in marriage. That, this is what the culture values, and this is what the culture praises. And so, as God's people, we're to be countercultural. Is that we say, no, we, we value faithfulness in marriages. We value, we value morality as it pertains to sex. And so how do we respond to these questions? What does the Bible have to say about what is wrong with adultery and sexual morality? What, what are wrong with these things? Why are they so heinous? Well, I think it's this. I'll give you four things. Is that first, it disregards God's ordering. It disregards God's ordering. So we're all familiar with things that, you know, I, I've talked about this before, but we are in this culture now, and the kind of millennials are all about this repurposing stuff, right? You take one thing and use it for something else. I found out an interesting thing. is that, you know how we use bubble wrap? Uh, bubble wrap was initially intended to be a wallpaper. Isn't that really weird? Like wallpaper. Like I just I can see myself bumping it. Like that kind of thing. It was intended to be wallpaper when it was uh, originally manufactured. Uh, you, you probably already know this, but frisbees were originally pie plates i don't know if you knew that some stanford kids it always has to be the stanford kids they're so smart uh they were throwing around pie plates and they created the frisbee right and then play-doh this is the most interesting one play-doh was not intended to be a child's play toy it was intended to get soot off walls isn't that really weird they would they would rub it on the walls to get the soot off and so uh, we're, we're really, in our, in our world, we're really about repurposing and finding out things that, and using things for what they weren't originally intended. And that's great, and that's okay with objects that, that we create and invent. That's okay to use them for different purposes. But guess what? It's not okay for us to function in a way that God has not designed and intended for us to function. That is not okay. God has ordered things in certain ways, and it's not okay for us to innovate and say, oh, well, I don't really have to go how I've been designed and ordered to function. No, you know what that's called? It's not called repurposing. It's called rebellion. That's exactly what it's called. It's called rebellion. It's not being innovative. It's not being creative. It's being rebellious. And to do something that God has not ordered and designed for us to function, that is rebellion against the God who has made us. It's not creative. It's not innovative. It's not repurposing. It's rebellion. And this is what God has defined. In Genesis 2, 18 through 25, God has set the paradigm for how sex is to work. And it's to work within the confines of one man, one woman, monogamous relationship. This is what God says when he's speaking about the people in Genesis chapter 2. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is the way God has ordered marriage and sexuality to work within the confines of a marriage. He gets to order these things. We don't. We are his people and his creation. The creatures don't get to call the shots in this thing. So to commit adultery and sexual immorality, it's going against what God has ordered and designed. And, and not only is that, that, is that wrong in and of itself, but it is an insult 
to God and His character and His purposes and His goodness. You, have you ever given anybody advice or counsel or maybe instructions or directions on something? And they just came in and like, no, nah, I'll do what I want. And you're like, I, I'm telling you this for your good. Like, you probably should heed my advice. No, nah, I'll do what I want. You, you take that personal, don't you? When somebody disregards your advice and your counsel and they do what they want. Guess what? How much more so the Creator, when He has designed us to function in a certain way, and we say, no, nah, I'll do what I want. I, 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 I'll do whatever I want with whoever I want, whenever I want. This is not how sex is to be used in God's economy, in God's world, and in God's people. Because it is a disregard for His ordering and how He has ordered us to, walk, to function. Not only that, but it diminishes God's omniscience. It not only dis- disregards God's ordering of the world and how we're to function, it, it, it diminishes God's omniscience. Basically, omniscience being a big word, God knowing all things. And uh, the, the best way I can uh, describe this is that everybody's seen a kid when they're trying to get away with something. Everybody's seen that like crafty face that they got. They think you don't understand anything about being a kid or know anything about what they're doing. They're like really secretive, like, you know, that kind of creepy face that they put on uh, Oh, nobody sees me. Nobody knows what I'm doing. My parents are idiots. Like, right, it's like they, they can't know. They don't know. And you're like, was I born yesterday? Like, seriously? You, you're trying to get away with this, right? You can't. But this is how the tone of adultery and sexual morality are kind of presented throughout the Bible, that it's secretive. It's always under the cloak of invisibility and invincibility. Let me read this to you from Job 24, 15. It says this, the eye of the adulterer waits for the twilight, saying, no eye will see me, and he disguises his face. In Proverbs 9, verse 17, the woman of folly who's, who seduces men, she says this, stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. So adultery and sexual morality are always presented in these tones that they're, they're being done under the cloak of invisibility. Hey, nobody knows. Nobody can see. Nobody will find out. It, it's all, and guess what that says? God doesn't know, and God won't see. But, but congregation, please don't, let me say this to you. I want, I want you to feel the effect of it. God knows all, and God sees all. You can't hide under any, anything and think that you are invisible and invincible to the God of the heavens and the earth. He sees and he knows all things. And you cannot fool him. You may fool your friends. You may fool your spouse. You may fool your children. You will not fool the God who has created you and ordered you to function the way that he wants you to. Please don't be deceived. It may feel secretive and it may feel like nobody will be hurt, but it's not. It is diminishing God's omniscience and he knows all things and he sees all things. And he will not let it slide. So it disregards God's ordering and it diminishes in omniscience. We are not invisible, and we are not invisible. And not only that, but functioning in a way sexually through adultery or sexual immorality, it, it not only disregards God's ordering and it diminishes his omniscience, but it demeans God's image. And we've talked a lot about the image of God, we talked a lot about it this week, but when we function this way sexually, you know what it says? That a person is nothing other than a body. A person is nothing other than an instrument to be used for pleasure. That's all that that person is. That's what it's saying. Is that this person, I don't have to have any relation with them. We don't have to have any, any intimacy. 
We don't have to have any connection. We're ju- we can just use each other. That's all that makes out to be a person, is they're just an instrument. That's what it does. And guess what? That is not what God's world says, as we've read before in Genesis 1, 26-27, is that every person is made in the image of God, and because they are made in the image of God, they have inherent value. They are not just an instrument to be used and discarded. They are God's image. And so, acting in these ways demeans God's image in people. It disregards God's ordering, diminishes omniscience, demeans His image, and then lastly, and most importantly, it distorts God's gospel. Our faithfulness in marriage is a demonstration of our faithfulness to God. Our faithfulness in marriage and morality, sexual morality, abstaining from it, is a demonstration that we want to be faithful to God. And this is why the prophets like Jeremiah and Ezekiel use the language of Israel, saying that you are, you are an adulterous nation, Israel. You, you have committed adultery, spiritual ad- adultery. Because they've left Yahweh, the God who saved them, then he's calling them, like you, you, you are just like an adulteress. You worship other gods, and you don't worship the God who has saved you. You've committed spiritual adultery. So our, our spiritual life and Sexual life are intimately connected. One author, John Frame, has said it like this. If you'll cheat on your spouse, you may just cheat on God. That's how intimately our faith to God through Christ Jesus is connected with our faithfulness in marriage. Is that it's indicative of our relationship with Yahweh. Our faithfulness in marriage is is a sign of our faithfulness to God. But not only that, our faithfulness in marriage is a depiction and demonstration for the people around us of God's faithfulness to us. It's a depiction of God's faithfulness to us. I was, interestingly, I don't, I don't want to point them out, I was, I was uh, doing sharing the gospel at a wedding a couple weeks ago, and they're actually here this morning, Hudson and Bailey, y'all should, y'all should say hey to them. Uh, it, it, newly married and... Um, uh, shared the gospel at their uh, wedding a couple weeks ago. And one of the things that was pointed out is this, is that our marriages are to be signs of a greater reality. Let me just say this. Nobody in here likes to be given wrong directions, right? Either by GPS or real human people. Nobody likes to be given wrong directions. Hey, yeah, you go, go 10 miles down there and take a left, and then you end up in like a cornfield, Right? Nobody likes, it frustrates everybody. And here, here's the thing. Unfaithfulness in marriage is like wrong directions. It's pointing us to the wrong reality. What marriage is supposed to do, faithfulness in marriage, is to point us to a greater reality, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so when we're unfaithful in marriage, we're saying the wrong things about God because we're pointing them to the wrong God, not the real God. Our faithfulness in marriage is a demonstration and a signpost to the greater reality of Christ and his church, as Paul says in Ephesians 5 is that Christ has been faithful to his church to the point of death, that he sacrificed himself in love for his people. And so now this reality of Christ and his church is to be demonstrated in our faithfulness in marriages. And that when we're immoral and we have a fluid sexuality, it does not point people to the right reality. Our marriages are to be a demonstration of God's faithfulness to us. So in our faithfulness to our spouses, we're clearly portraying God 
is a faithful God to his people, steadfast and loving kindness. That is what it does. We want to point people the right way. And so at this point, as usual, what we've talked about, some may have already may have checked out, um, saying, I, I haven't done this, I haven't committed adultery, I haven't, haven't, I'm, I'm not sexually immoral. But bef- before we give ourselves a clean bill of health and say everything's fine, man, we need to hear Jesus' words. Because Jesus is not letting us off the hook. He says it's not just about adultery. And it's not just about sexual morality. He goes at the innermost being of a person. He says, guess what it's about? It is about your heart and these things. The law is not merely about your external actions. It's about the affections and inclinations of our own hearts. And in this whole room, none of us can get past this. Let's look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5. I'll just read it for you. Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 30. He says, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Okay, he's referencing Exodus 20 already. You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of your parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Jesus is saying, look, he's, he's upping the ante again. It is not just about you not committing adultery and you not committing sexual immorality. It's about what is going on in here. What are you thinking about? What are you pondering on? What are you daydreaming about? Those are the things that Jesus is trying to get out out of. So if you think you're out of danger and you think you've gotten off the hook, guess what? This is where sin begins. This is where sin begins, is in the heart. Is that in a sin doesn't begin in a moment of infidelity. Sin started way back, where it started cultivating and stirring in one's heart. So we have to deal with that. We have to deal with those, those things. And so Jesus is calling us to refrain from lust that demonstrates itself in lingering looks and fa- fantasizing and daydreaming and scheming on what could be done with another person sexually. Thoughts that stir sexual arousal. Jesus is getting at those things. Deal with those things. And he goes so far, it may sound like, you know, he's asking us to dismemberment, but he's not. He's saying, look at the seriousness that you need to go to to deal with this sin. He's using hyperbolic language. Look at the seriousness. You might need to cut off things and tear out things to deal with the sin. He's saying, go to the nth degree. I'm not saying we need to go cut off anything. Let me be very clear with that. Jesus is... He's trying to catch the disciples' attention and saying, look at the seriousness of this sin and look at the serious ways that you need to go about dealing with it. It's a serious issue. Don't play these games. Don't play with the sin. It will overtake you and you will not win. Kill it now in your heart before it is expressed in your actions. Deal with it. Jesus won't let us off the hook. There's great gravity to this. And so what... What the commandment is calling us to is to respect and protect marriage. And that's one way that we love our neighbors. But in doing so, it's not just refraining from things. It's dealing with the things that are stirring in our own hearts right now. That's what it's calling us to do is deal with the things that are stirring in our own hearts. And so I just, I just ask you this morning, 
Are you taking the necessary precautions to fight against this sin? Are there things that are stoking the fires of lust in your heart? Is there things that you're reading, that you're watching, that you're clicking on that are stirring these things in your heart? I'd say this, don't feed lust, kill it. Don't feed lust, kill it. Don't feed it with things that you watch and read and click on on the internet. Kill it through prayer, through the gospel, through reading the Bible, and through being with other believers, through accountability. Use the spiritual disciplines to kill sin. Don't feed it. Because it will overtake you. Don't think, that, oh, it's a small sin, nobody will know. Yes, somebody will know, and it's not a small sin. God will know. And so as Dr. David's already read Philippians 4, 8 for us, are we filling our minds with things that are holy, good, righteous, loving, pure or are you feeding your minds with something that is that is stirring affections in you that should not be stirred and I think we can take a lot of <laughs> a lot of wisdom from that that little song that our parents used to sing to us be careful little what you be careful little what you hear for the Father above is looking down in love. Be careful, little eyes, little ears, little minds, little hearts. God knows. He sees. Put it to death and don't stir these because it will overtake you. What we, what we input and what we intake will be output. So we cannot hide. We are not invisible and we are not invincible. But I also want to say this, is that there is great grace for the adulterer, for those struggling with lust. There is great grace. That God has given grace upon grace to those even struggling with these sins. Is that they are not left out. That Jesus has come to even die for those sins. So this morning you may feel overburdened with this. You may feel like there's no way I can come back from what I've done. There's no way that I can, I can remove what I've done. There's no way I can fix what I've done. Guess what? Jesus has. He's given the grace and the forgiveness in His own death and resurrection to forgive you of these sins and that you no longer have to live in condemnation with Him. You may feel some of the ramifications of your past sins, but guess what? You no longer have the condemnation that you were under apart from Jesus Christ. Well, 1 Corinthians 6 says this. I just want to read it for you. He says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And listen to this. And such were some of you. And such were some of you. This is what he says. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Yes, you may be overly burdened by these sins. You may be struggling with them right now. But guess what? There is great grace for you in Jesus Christ. You can be forgiven of your sin. And you can live a new life empowered by the Holy Spirit to fight these sins. You don't have to leave out of here condemned. You can leave out of here forgiven and restored by the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this is what God is calling us to. 
is that he's calling his people to be a people who think differently about marriage, who value it and protect it in others and in ourselves, who think differently about sexuality, who say it's not just about the things that are refrained from doing, but about the things that are going on in my own heart. And that's what God is trying to reorient by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what he's doing. That we think differently about marriage, about sex, and about our own hearts and where sin starts. And so that's how we love our neighbors and love our God, is by we protect and respect marriage. And that means pursuing purity in all actions and in our affections. And not only that, he goes to the next commandment and says, it's not only about loving your neighbors through protecting and respecting marriages, but it's also loving your neighbors by uh, protecting and respecting even their own property. And that's the, that's the next commandment, is respecting property. God's people are prohibited from taking advantage of others, which is motivi- motivated by greedy self-interest. Dale, would you throw that picture up on you? Uh, so a guy directed me towards a, a, a picture from Norman Rockwell. Uh, this was, as you can tell, the Saturday Evening Post. And uh, it's just interesting what's going on here between a butcher and, and this, uh, this nice lady. Looks like a nice lady, at least. Um, but you see what's going on there? You see their fingers? Yeah, the butcher's pushing it down and the uh, lady's pushing up. Oh, man, Grandma, come on. We all thought you were real kind and nice. What's going on? So you see that, you know, uh, there's a little deception and manipulation involved here, right? So when we hear, you shall not steal, guess what we go to immediately? Oh, yeah, don't rob cars, don't break into houses, don't pickpocket old ladies. You know, that's what we think about, right? Oh, I don't do those things, Wes. No, 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 I don't, I don't steal out of mom's purse or anything like that. Well, guess what? I think the commandment, you shall not steal, is much deeper than pickpocketing old ladies' purses and robbing convenience stores and maybe stealing something out of Walmart. Maybe it's this. Maybe it's going even deeper at our own hearts and saying, maybe there's things that we're doing to break this commandment that have to do with us manipulating others to take advantage of other people. I think that's also what's involved in stealing. Certainly robbing people's homes and breaking into people's cars. Yes, that's stealing. I mean, clearly, right? But I think there's a form of stealing that we all need to consider, that sometimes we steal, but we subtly do it. We do it subtly. And so this is what stealing was in, in Israel, is that God in his law, he, he prohibits any form of stealing or taking someone's possessions or property in an unwholesome manner. You know, Israel's not to take another person's animal. They're not to take other people's uh, uh, items, like we saw uh, what Rachel did with Laban. She stole one of his idols. Uh, and even, even kidnapping is, uh, is in the law that it's considered stealing. And so all these are kind of Israel, Israel's understanding of what it means not to steal. Uh, but also in the entire Bible, that stealing also happens in other ways. And the butcher and the old lady is a good example of one. Is that you'll hear a lot in the Bible about unjust balances or weights. So you'll see in Deuteronomy 25 or maybe in the Proverbs that it's an abomination to have unjust weights. And that's how, that's how Israel did their economy. They weighed out things, and so a person may weigh out something underneath a weight to get a little bit more money for it, so they can take another person's money. And God is even condemning and not condoning those actions, that that is even stealing. Though it's not taking something, something from someone just so blatantly, that is stealing as well, because it involves unwholesome, uh, manipulative, deceitful taking of somebody else else's things in an unwholesome manner that is stealing that is what it is 
is taking advantage of people for dishonest gain. To, to, to uh, basically advance our own interest, our own self-interest, to capitalize on other people's vulnerability or their, or their, um, or their weakness uh, or their ignorance of something. That's, that's what stealing is. That's what it is. I, I'll just give you an example is that we all know about these phone scams are going on. I mean, I mean, everybody's been called from Sri Lanka or Wisconsin or, you know, all, I mean, I don't even have any friends in Mississippi. I mean, but I've been called there. <laughs> but I've been called from all over the United States, and these people are always calling me, you know, hey, send in a check and you'll be okay with the IRS, you know, all that. Like, like the, these phone scams. And so, you know, though that's not taking directly from, you know, my pocket, Guess what? There are people who have been manipulated into sending money. And guess what? That is stealing. That is dishonest gain because it is manipulating people and deceiving people in order to take from them. Though it may be willing on one side, it's a manipulation game. And so we have to see, we have to reorient what we think stealing is. It's not necessarily taking somebody out of something's hands and walking away from it or from their car or from their home. That it even could be used in a way, in a method that we manipulate people for our own gain and our own self-interest. And this is not condoned by God's law. And unfortunately, we are driven by the almighty dollar that even all of us in here, we have to fight against these, these ideas of what can I do to make you know, the quickest buck, the quickest way and the easiest way where I have to do the least amount of work, right? What can I do? And we have to fight against those things because in those and those, with that mantra, with that motto, it leads to trying to gain things from people out of our own self-interest and not out of the interest of them. So theft is a, and stealing is an attack on human dignity. It demeans and devalues work. It shows discontent. It says, I don't, I don't have enough and I... God hasn't given me enough, so I need, to, I need to do something to have more. It shows discontent. And not only that, it, it represents greed. I want more. I have to have more. i got to get more. That's what theft and stealing does. It's i got to have more. I'm not, I'm not satisfied with what God has given me. I need more. My life consists of money and possessions and objects. And so when we do this, when we act in these ways to steal subtly from people, it is opposite of what the gospel is. Because in Philippians 2, Paul is calling us, says, maybe, he says this, if you are in Christ Jesus, you should consider the interest of others before your own. And when we operate out of greed, we're saying, what can I do to take from people in a subtle way that can't be, that can't be called stealing, yet it still is stealing. And so are we operating in ways that promote subtle greediness and stealing? Are you acting in a way that promotes your own self-interest above others? Are you operating out of greed and desire to want more? Maybe you're exploiting others around you, taking advantage of others around you. Just to give you a couple examples, maybe, maybe you fudge a little bit on your taxes. Well, you know, just a, just a little bit. Right? Maybe you withheld information and you sold your home or a car. Well, yeah, it's got some of these problems, but they don't need to know about that. Maybe you, you have a business and you've deceived people 
maybe by speaking badly about your competitor so that they'll go with your business when it's not true. Maybe you intentionally waste time at work. It's called time stealing. All these are subtle ways that we wouldn't say, well, I'm not stealing. It is. It's getting gain in a dishonest and unwholesome way. That's stealing. It's manipulating people for your own interest and not theirs. That is stealing. And that is not what the gospel characterizes us by. Is that we actually, if we are in Jesus Christ and we've been transformed the gospel, greedy people are made into generous people. That's what happens. Greedy people are made into generous people. Listen to this, what it says in Ephesians 4.28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Saying this, this is what Paul's saying. Hey, you people who used to steal, you've been transformed by the gospel, don't steal anymore. Actually, you need to work, because work is good for you. Work is a good thing. You need to value work and get money from that. But then he goes so far as even this. He says, not only don't you, do you not steal anymore, and now that you, you need to work for what you get, guess what? He says, you need to work for a purpose. And what is that purpose? To give to those who are in need. Now, if, I wish I had about 45 more minutes. I mean, I, I, this, this revolutionizes how we think about getting money and obtaining money. Is that our culture says, no, you get money to get happy. You, you, you buy things to make yourself happy. What, what the gospel is saying is this. No, you get money so that you can help people who are in need. That's how the gospel transforms us. It transforms how we even view work, how we even view money. So do people view you as a person who's close-fisted, who's stingy, who's greedy and just wants more, who's not generous, who's not marked by giving money away but trying to hoard as much as they can? Because guess what? The gospel, if it has transformed us by the power of Jesus Christ, the gospel is to actually compel us to be generous. Because this is what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 8, is that Jesus, who was rich, became poor so that you who were poor might become rich in him. Jesus, who was rich, he became poor because you were poor. And he became poor to make you rich. Now we need to give to be generous. This is what is to mark people who follow Jesus. We're generous people. We don't steal. We walk in integrity. We're honest. We're not greedy. We give away our money freely because Jesus is Lord and our money is not. So this morning as we've kind of walked through these two commandments, we've learned that God is calling us to operate in different ways as it pertains to marriage as it pertains to money, as it pertains to harming marriages, but actually we're called to protect them and not to be greedy, but to be generous. So this morning, I'll just say to all followers of Jesus Christ, let this sit on you and on your hearts. Evaluate your life. Am I, am I operating in ways that are, are not protecting my own marriage or other, other marriages? Am I, am I flirtatious? Am I causing other people to stumble in some way? Am I tempting other people in some way? This calls for a whole complete makeover on what we think about marriage and sex and also 
how we think about money. Yeah, we may not be stealing right out of somebody's purse, but are we working in ways that seek to manipulate people for our own gain so that others can lose? Because the gospel has transformed us, and we are to look differently. So this morning, if you're not in Christ and you feel the burdens of these commands, maybe you, you've been greedy, and maybe you have stolen, and maybe you have committed adultery, and maybe you have been sexually immoral, and maybe you are right now, I'd say this, you don't have to leave from this place like that. But the gospel of Jesus Christ has come to even forgive even those sins. To the point that, guess what? Who did Jesus die in between? Two thieves. Jesus died between two thieves. And one of them actually repented and trusted in Jesus Christ. So this morning, there's the gospel of grace and forgiveness in Jesus Christ for thieves and for the sexually immoral and for adulterers. You don't have to leave this place burdened and condemned by God, but you actually can be forgiven by God through repentance and trusting in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and King. Let us pray. God, we love you. Thank you for your word. Lord, I pray this morning that by the power of the gospel and the indwelling Holy Spirit, you would help us to fight sin, sin of lust, sin of greed God it would not be named among us for those who are in Jesus Christ I pray this morning for those who feel heavy burdened by the commands that God that if they are in Christ they can realize that they have all the equipment to obey what you have said we have your word and we have your spirit and we have your people we have everything that we need to obey that God, if they are not in Christ Jesus and they feel condemned, that God, that they can realize that they can find forgiveness and freedom from these sins in Jesus. Lord, I pray from this place as we go that we would, we would proclaim loudly the gospel that brings salvation and grace to adulterers, to the sexually immoral, and to thieves. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Please stand.